First reading this morning is part of the revelation to John. And we're reading from chapter 1 and the ninth verse. And that's on page 1233 in the Church Bible. So the first chapter in the ninth verse of the Revelation to John. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, as though dead. Then he placed his hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is the word of the Lord. The second lesson is to be found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, and you can find this on page 1009 in the Church Bibles, beginning to read at verse 45. Mark, chapter 6. The disciples have just witnessed Jesus' miraculous he, uh, giving of the food to 5,000 people. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars, because the wind was against them. 
Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus, and they ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to where they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces, and they begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as we open your word, we pray that we too may be touched, healed, restored, <clears throat> and given life in all its fullness as we hear your voice this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said earlier, we come to the end of the sermon series on hearing God. I want to thank Esther for creating it. Thank Esther for being here. Uh, it's lovely being with her through her priesting and, hearing, and seeing her celebrate communion last Sunday. But the, the, the series has really blessed us, I think, as a church, has blessed me in just that whole attention we're giving to wanting to hear God. And as I said, but although this series comes to an end, the listening of God's voice goes on, and we will continue to hear God's voice throughout all eternity. So this morning, I simply want to draw together the course that we've been on, in a way, and with some reflections, and then close with a word from Revelation. But we're actually going to be doing the whole book of Revelation uh, next term in September, from September onwards. It's a glorious book, because we have thought about hearing God, and we're hearing God particularly in how he speaks to the churches. For some of you, this may be a whole new concept, and actually, how do we hear God? But we, so we began with recognizing God's voice. You might remember that with Sue East, who taught on Samuel very powerfully, and brought together so much of how we were hearing God, and particularly God's heart for justice. And then what do we do when God seems absent, when his voice seems to be completely silent, where Peter led us powerfully through Job? And then Catherine Wright came and spoke to us about the still small voice and Elijah, and she likened waiting and listening to God as a trapeze artist, where we just simply have to hang, waiting, not moving, just waiting for God to catch us. And we sought God's voice through fasting. And I hope some of us have begun to renew that part of our spiritual life with God as a way that he speaks to us. We heard Esther speak on God through many signs, followed by hearing God through the ordinary with Peter, speaking of Mary and Martha, where in life we're offered many courses, as it were, in a meal, choices, yet only one course is necessary. Our friendship and devotion to Jesus is vital 
if we're to hear his voice. And last week, we heard about God speaking through the extraordinary and Cornelius and Peter both having visions and hearing angels, a way in which God speaks to others so that friendship with God may be, be begun. God wanting his voice to be heard by others who perhaps aren't hearing it and drawing them to, to the feast that will know no end. I really want to encourage you, <coughs> if you have access to the internet, perhaps to go back and to listen to some of them over the summer months and just hear again what the series has been about and listening to a number of people trying, trying to hear God is really important. And it may be that you just spend time apart in the summer somewhere, just having space to take some moments out with God in the business of life. Because the series began really by a number of people trying to make sense of life in a way, of key decisions they were having to make, wondering where God was when nothing seemed to be happening. And how could they trust the voice of God? How could they discern that this was God speaking? And today we read of the disciples being told by Jesus to get into a boat. He tells them to get into a boat. The boat then goes into the sea and a great storm comes and the wind is against them. Remember, it's Jesus who told them to get into the boat. While Jesus himself walks off just leaves them and goes up the mountainside to pray. Sometimes we wonder why. How has this come to be? Why am I in this sinking boat when I thought I was following what Jesus had told me to do? I thought I'd heard God's voice. But why is it like this? And out of that flows questions of how can we know it's God speaking to us? How do we know it's not just our emotions, they're not the devil, or pressures from others, where God doesn't give us an overt supernatural confirmation of his voice, as he did with Paul and Cornelius, through an angel or through a prophetic word, as I spoke of last week with being called to Liabi. How can we recognize that this voice is the voice of God? And what we've been discovering is that God's voice will always agree with his word, with scripture. I was taught that God will never contradict his word. He may contradict our interpretations of the Bible, as he did with Peter last week, when he, in Acts 8, told Peter to get up, kill, and eat, something that God's word specifically in Leviticus was forbidden. But he will never actually contradict the actual teaching that he's given in his word. And it's really important that whatever, that whatever we believe we hear from God is tested against the truth of God that we discover in his word. We just have to hold that as like a litmus test. But of course, there are things in life that the Bible teaches that may be permissible in general, but not necessarily beneficial, as Paul writes of. And in our lives, we discover that we do have a certain freedom from God in the risk he's taken of loving us by giving us free will. We can all have freedom to marry or not marry. The freedom to change jobs, to buy a house or a flat. The freedom to go into some form of ministry or not. And in these areas, how do we test the voice or impression that seems to be leading us in a certain direction as to what to do, which God has left us 
with a mind to do ourselves. What we discover, too, is that in our searching for discernment, God's voice may contradict our friends, those who journey with us spiritually. Anne and I have often discovered that God has led us to do things that make no sense to those around us. When we left to go to Scargill from London hotels where we're just about to buy a flat in Dulwich for 35,000 pounds, can you believe it? When we were just about to be promoted in our work, we go and join a community for six pounds a week because we believe God is calling us. Our friends were deeply worried. Our parents thought we'd join the Moonies. These were godly people, people who loved us. And St. Paul found this too when encouraged not to go to Jerusalem by his friends for they feared for his imprisonment in Acts 21. But however, Paul refused their advice because he felt the Spirit of God was leading him, because Paul had known how to recognize the voice of God. And the Spirit was leading Paul to Jerusalem in Acts 20, verses 22 to 23. Again, Paul's actions made no sense to his friends. And yet it was not they who were hearing the voice of God. The man who trained me, Richard Thompson, as a curate, he, when he was a curate in Emmanuel in um, London, he encouraged someone called Jackie Pullinger to listen to God. She simply knew she had to get on a ship heading east and then get off that ship wherever God told her. And that's what he encouraged her to do. I just imagine someone encouraging Emma to do that. And so Jackie found herself on Waterloo Station with a tearful mother and a curate, Richard, who waved her goodbye, not knowing where her journey would take her. Jackie, as we know, went off to Hong Kong. She got off the boat at Hong Kong and began a ministry among drug addicts and has led thousands to Christ. She went against the advice that was given by her families and friends because in herself she knew she was hearing God. And when trying to discern whether or not the voice speaking to us is God, we're not looking for advice in the natural. We do not simply want the opinion of others. What we need is their discernment, their spiritual discernment, not reasonable advice. You see, we are trying to judge not by our eyes or by our ears, but by the Spirit of the Lord, says Isaiah in chapter 11, verses 2 to 4. And Jesus himself encouraged us in John 10 to learn to recognize his voice so that when these big decisions come, we are truly discerning that we know God and we know he's leading us to take this step that may seem completely strange. And how do we learn to recognize his voice then? We do this by reading the New Testament we study the conversations of Jesus. We observe how he speaks to people like Mary and Martha, like the woman at the well, like the rich young ruler, like he spoke to Peter and so on. And if you do this, if you read this, you will discover that the voice of Jesus does not nag or whine. In some cases it might argue, but it's often calm. 
it's often quiet, it's often confident. If you remember that time when Jesus is caught with the woman in adultery, not that Jesus was, but she was caught in adultery and Jesus happened to be there when she was about to be stoned. He sat on the floor. There was a mob before him with stones in their hands. He sat on the floor and drew in the sand. Where are your accusers? As every stone dropped from their hands to the floor and they drifted away. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And we hear the voice of God in this story rescue a woman from certain death. If this is how he spoke to people in the New Testament, then surely that's how he's going to speak to you. And do you trust that voice, the voice of the good shepherd who knows his sheep and who will lead you? Do you trust him as others had to trust his voice? As the disciples heard his voice in the midst of their storm, when the wind was against them, when everything is against you, it is the hardest point to hear God. And John tells us that just before the dawn, Mark, isn't that a beautiful statement? Just before the dawn, just before you've perhaps given up hope, in the darkness of the night, what do we hear but a voice? Do not be afraid. Yet we've discovered through this series that God's voice, though, is different to our voice. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And this passage reminds us as we seek to learn to hear God's voice, that God's thoughts are radically different from our thoughts. And on a practical level, this means he will have a very different perspective to you than we do. His ways are so radically different than ours. And this means he will have a different way of handling a particular situation that you would handle in a particular way. If I were God, I would do this. That's what I say sometimes. God, if I were you, I would be doing it this way. And so God's voice can sometimes lead us into conflict because his ways are not our ways, because his thoughts are not like ours. Of course, you say, but Simon, we have God's word to help us know God's thoughts and to know God's ways now. But even the Pharisees and the teachers had the word of God at the time of Jesus. Many knew it off by heart. They had to memorize it. But when Jesus came, they failed to recognize him as the Messiah among them. For how different and strange it is, for his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, that God should send a tiny baby as his son into the world in a stable in Bethlehem and then have him grow up in Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And then, of course, to see him die a criminal's death on a cross. No matter how much Bible knowledge we amass or how spiritually mature we become, God's thoughts and ways will still be far above ours. And yet in his great mercy, he shares his thoughts with the humble, the proud, no matter how knowledgeable 
usually don't penetrate the thoughts and ways of God simply because they are convinced that they already know them. Pride can lead to a separation in the relationship with God because we believe we know it and we're right, even if we have read God's word thoroughly. But his ways are not our ways, and his voice may surprise us. But what we have discovered through this series, what I hope we have heard, is that friendship with God is key. It is the key to hearing his voice. And God comes to us to speak because he wants relationship with us. He wants to speak into our lives. But often we only want him to fix things. It's not wrong to come to Jesus to fix our marriage or have a desire for marriage. It's not wrong to come to Jesus with our business problems, with our children's problems. But if our primary interest in Jesus revolves around us and what he can do for me, then when he fails to meet our perceived need, we will leave him, believing that he's left us just as he left the disciples in the boat with the storm coming. He wants us to go further than having a relationship like that. Jesus wants to be more to us than just a servant. Don't get me wrong, God can help us. God can fix things. Many of us give testimony to that. But if that's all we want from, from him, like calling a plumber when we have a leaky tap, it's not enough for God. He wants to be friends. As Chris was reminded by God through his friend David, let's be friends, as we heard at the Abbey. Most of us want to be friends with Jesus. We long to hear and recognize his voice, but we can fall into the trap of desiring Jesus as a means to another end, when he himself is the end of all things. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And not recognizing this can hinder friendship with Jesus. And whatever hinders friendship with him means it will hinder our ability to hear him. Hear him. For Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Show myself to them. Do we hear that this morning? Jesus promises us, his friends, not simply a revelation of truth through his word or a revelation of the truths of the Bible or even a revelation of truth about himself. What he promises is a very revelation of himself. The type of revelation that is shared among the closest of friends or the most intimate of lovers. Earlier this week, I visited, well, this last week, late, late, late last week, it's still this new week, isn't it? Well, anyway, Thursday, <laughs> I visited Malcolm and Jenny. Malcolm's been in hospital. He's now having some respite at Dorothy House. As you know, he's been diagnosed with PSP, which is a, like a form of Parkinson's, where his body will literally shut down. His mind won't, but he won't be able to move. His nerves 
will just die. It's a beautiful thing to see Jenny and Malcolm loving each other through this. And as we sat together and prayed, for Malcolm is destined for glory at some point. I read to him the passage we had this morning. For the wind is against Jenny and Malcolm at the moment. As a disease has a very increasing effect upon his body. And Jesus, watching his disciples struggling from a distance on the sea, comes to them. He comes down from his place of prayer, communion with his Father, down the hill. And, John, and Mark, as we have heard, says, just before the dawn. With our hope in a dawn that we all have, that there'll be a new day when all things will be new. Jesus comes before the dawn. Do we hear that? Jesus comes before the dawn. And they're straining at the oars. Jenny lifting Malcolm into the car. They can no longer do any more of the disciples. They are tired and they are fearful. So Jesus comes supernaturally to them, showing his lordship and authority over the waters of chaos and darkness. And just before the dawn, when it's dark and the storm is raging worse, a voice is heard. As was heard at the very beginning of all creation when God spoke over the chaos and darkness. Take courage. Do not be afraid. It is I. Then there was peace. Such is the power of the presence of God's voice to the disciples, to Jenny and Malcolm, to you, to the world. The voice of God reveals itself just at the right time. And the power of his voice is that his voice that spoke creation into being will speak for all eternity. Nothing will silence the voice of God. For in a vision given to John, at a time of great pain and suffering, a voice speaks. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned and saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice, his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades, his right wounded hand. This isn't a cheap 
statement. This is a truth statement. Do you carry that revelation of Christ in your heart and mind as you seek his voice, as you seek his face? Whatever you are experiencing at the moment, however difficult that is, and for many it is really hard, in learning to hear and recognizing the voice of God, we are getting to know the one who will say to us, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Imagine this voice. Imagine his hand upon your shoulder. For this is the revelation we long to see and hear. And we will. For all eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is our song. Amen. We sing of that great picture of Jesus revealed in glory. Jesus, lover of my soul.